Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name's Gareth Duffin and welcome to Know Your Shift, a podcast where we explore the challenges, opportunities and impact of change in all of our lives. Change can be unsettling and often difficult to navigate, but it's also a part of growth and progress. On this show, we'll be talking to experts, business leaders and everyday people about their experiences with change and how they've overcome obstacles to embrace it. Whether you're looking for inspiration, practical tips, or just a fresh perspective on change, we get actionable advice. So let's dive into the world of change, embrace the unknown, and help you to change your direction. Hi, Hayley. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's uh, it's really good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, so first question as always, um, what is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? So I think this is a really interesting question because we're always changing and there's loads of things that people go through and, and different evolutions of themselves, I guess, is the best way to put it. But I'm going to focus on working from home because for me, this was a huge change. Um, and obviously, most of us were kind of forced into it with the pandemic and businesses had, had just gone through a, an amazing amount of change in a short period of time through no fault of their own. And I was very much one of those people where I love going meeting people for coffee or cake or like being in the office and part of that team spirit and the person that's organizing the drinks down the pub or you know the burgers and the pizza nights and and that sort of thing and then to be forced into a situation where suddenly I was doing interviews on teams and zoom which is mad to think because now it's like the norm but you know back then I was like oh how am I going to do this I used to very much talk to people, look at their mannerisms. You could get so much from people's body language. And I suddenly forced into interviewing for some really senior roles from my bedroom, you know, and it was, it was just a mad time for me. And um, really kind of I felt quite lonely and kind of isolated initially. I know a lot of us kind of went through that journey at the time, but it was just such a big shift change to, you know, going every day, being very much a routine person, you know, going to the gym at a certain time, getting up, working, um, to suddenly working from home and doing everything in my computer. And I think probably I didn't quite get the balance of that right. You know, I just focused everything on work and uh, it kind of all absorbed me, to be honest with you, you know, and whether that was because COVID, there wasn't really much else to do or whether that's just my personality because I'm kind of an all-in, all-blazing type of person and I desperately needed that, that human interaction and... You know, I'd be booking teams calls all over the place, like back to back and actually thinking, do you know what? I'm not really remembering what people are saying here. And I got to a point where I was like, look, I need to find a way of, of working this out. And actually now I'm very good at kind of booking a meeting, giving myself a half an hour to take my notes, to digest everything, to, you know, really get to grips with what I've listened to and what I've learned and not have the TV on in the background with, you know trashy tv that that's playing as just sort of a distraction but for me it was a big shift change in terms of how i work and what it looks like and and just that that day-to-day processing really and how do you still get the social element of things and certainly i think we've probably got a better balance now well i have anyway in terms of going into the office a couple of days a week and booking meetings with people so they're kind of clustered in in an area and i'm not traveling to like Manchester or Scotland and and then booking people in continuously in that period of time. Um, so it's probably given me a much better balance in life, but it's definitely been an interesting shift change for me. 
the the topic of working from home comes up a lot when we're having these conversations and um one question i guess i never asked and it only just came to me is would you go back to the five days in the office if covid had never happened if you could wave a magic wand i don't think i'd go back to five days in an office in london i think i would probably go back to if i could have an office kind of in a smaller commute closer to my house four days a week i probably would go back to that so i do think there's certainly people that are younger in their career they are missing out a lot of that development and that knowledge sharing which i was really fortunate to have early in my career and when I kind of look back now and my career has been an interesting one, I've kind of moved sectors, I've moved jobs, I've moved companies, worked, you know, in, in a various different ways. And I just think I was so lucky and so fortunate to have learned everything I learned at such a young age. Um, and, you know, my early career was in the rugby football union and, and that was an all embracing job. You know, you're there every day, you live it, you breathe it, you then do the event days and you see the results and, um, I, I did a lot of work around kind of coaching and schools development. So you see a physical product, but you're you're there every day. You're part of that team. You're learning from people. You're learning coping mechanisms. You're learning how they deal with it, even how they talk to an audience. And I think if I hadn't got that earlier in my career, would I be where I am now? Maybe not. So I do think it's really important for us to kind of pass our wisdom on to the next generation. And the only real way of doing that is in person because you know, work over teams, they just can't get that. They can't get, you know, how I deal with stuff, how I how I react to things on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's really interesting balance that people need to get to, really. How do you get that culture? How do you get that learning for people when you're working from home all the time? And do you think, obviously, you, you talk to candidates on a regular basis. Do you think they understand that? No, um, I think some do. I think it depends on the industry that you're working in. Um, you know, some people really understand that actually their job is to be there. You know, obviously I've recruited in student accommodation. I do a lot of work in schools and higher education. And those people appreciate that there's a value to them being on site. You know, they are there for a purpose and, you know, as a reason. But it is really difficult to attract staff. And it does really reduce the candidate pools if you suddenly say, it's five days a week in the office or it's five days a week in the school and people are like, oh actually I don't want to do that or the commute's too far for me or, or it doesn't quite work and that's where you've got the challenge because there's a certain type of person that likes being in five days a week versus people that want to work from home and um, it, it depends how you really want to attract candidates and what your kind of purpose is really. I think it is very challenging when you have, particularly let's look at schools, for example, you know, teachers have no choice. They have to be in school Monday to Friday, 9 till 3.30. So then if you start letting your estates professionals, your IT professionals, your HR professionals work from home one day a week, that really puts a disparity between those professional services. Um, And it makes a challenge for those people to work together because they're not on an even playing field. And that's where you get unbalanced and it's really difficult to bring those teams together and create a unified culture. Do you think that's sort of a barrier? Because, you know, my opinion, it's, there's no more important sector than, than obviously education to get great talent to people to work in. Um, do you think that's putting people off, maybe at an early stage, maybe not teachers, because I think, you know, if you 
that's a that's certainly a career choice but you know, is it putting people off say going to work for a multi-academy trust or or for an individual school if if they're having to go go in every day is that a barrier to getting great talent into the sector yeah it's a barrier for professional services talent because the challenge they they've got hundreds of opportunities you know at the moment it's a market that none of us have seen before where there's more jobs than there are candidates and you know everybody is looking for that great person and everybody is looking for somebody that's going to make a big impact to their business and make a real difference and when you're looking for things like IT directors for example you know IT directors in a school are critical because they they make the school work you know technology is such a big part of the curriculum now whereas they may be getting offers from other companies where they're working from home pretty much all the time and they don't want to make that transition back in what I have found is that it does really show the type of people and the people that work well in the education are people that are motivated and have that social purpose and generally those people want to be in and see the results day to day so it does help you eliminate people earlier on that maybe won't be a long-term fit that makes sense and I think talking of obviously people moving and and thinking about making a change certainly in their career or you know they're they're not particularly happy in their current role you know what's what sort of signs do you think people should look out for that you know think they may be ready to to make a move I think it can often take six months to a year for people to be ready to make that jump to move you know it's a big life-changing decision and it can impact you in so many ways you know most of us spend more of our time at work than we do anything else at the moment um so it's how do you get that balance and you you know yourself but it can take a while to see it you know it's around that kind of burnout feeling where you're just on that hamster wheel going round and round or you're just really not engaged with what the company's doing or you just really you feel like you're not listened to or you're kind of um invisible is the key one that I hear a lot you know I just feel like my ideas weren't being heard or I'm invisible or I mean I'm just in that kind of churn etc I think you get different types of people you get some people that are really settled you know they are able to do jobs for long term uh, you know be in a consistent environment which is fine but then you also get some people that are really motivated. They're always looking for new challenges. They're looking for new opportunities. There's some people that, you know, they're a couple of years in a job and that that's right for them, you know. And there's other people where, you know, it's a much longer term journey. I've always been fortunate in my career. So I've had fairly long stints in companies, but I've had multiple roles or lots of different things. So somebody actually once described um, my brain as, as a butterfly effect so I've got lots of things going on at any one time and I can never just settle in one area um, and I, I think for me actually I do lots of other things outside of work and I think that's a really interesting development for people so you know getting exposure through being a school governor through being a non-executive director through being a trustee actually can really enhance your career offering personally it really develops you it gives you skill sets that you may not get in the workplace and gives people another avenue and really interestingly the other day I don't know if you read it yet the 100 year life it's a book that somebody recommended to me to read around 
the next generation of people will live to 100 you know our children you know our uh, the people in school at the moment they will exceed 100 if we don't to be honest with you and if you're going to live to 100 you're going to have multiple assets to your life so you're going to have multiple careers you're going to have multiple friendship groups traumas celebrations etc and we need to get into a process where we start looking a bit more holistically at that so it's not about having a career for life anymore it's about having transferable skills that can move into other industries for example and i've listened to some of your other podcasts around people moving from hospitality and student accommodation well, they can move again. You know, you could be a business manager at an academy trust. It's still customer focus. You're still on that journey of education. There's lots of things that are transferable from one industry to another. And that's what I think at the moment, a lot of companies are not very good at. You know, they ask for a person within that industry that is an expert in their field. But actually, if you've got those basic principles, can you move over? Can you then bring something really different into the organisation? Um, and I think actually we need to get to grips with not saying that careers are for life anymore. You know, it's about utilising ev- the whole of everybody, their whole selves and whether people are learning new skills, whether they're non-exec directors, whether they just have the right attitude and the right fundamentals to make a, a jump into a new sector. Yeah, and I guess obviously finding those people that, you know, want to constantly learn and maybe maybe clients aren't necessarily looking when they receive a CV or you know they're having a conversation with candidates particularly if they're doing recruitment themselves is you know looking at those extra skills and um, you know that people have developed outside of work you know can add so much value and and I wonder how much emphasis is being placed on that when a you know when a client receives a you know a CV of a candidate or you know, perhaps they're just looking for experience in a particular sector um and another thing that interests me very much about recruiting is how you as expert recruiters identify future stars how do you see people out there and think they're on a great trajectory they're doing everything that they they should be doing in their career um you know how do you how do you find those people I think because obviously a lot of my work's been with the more kind of senior people that are more established in their career, it's difficult to know that because actually you're looking for key qualities. And every time we're doing a search or a process, we're looking for those competencies that clients have asked us to look for. But the normal traits are around leadership. You know, how is someone able to lead a team? You know, are they able to motivate, to mentor to check and to challenge um, do they have that professional credibility so are they able to talk confidently um, are they able to give you examples of things that they have personally delivered and projects and innovation that they may have delivered as, as part of their organization throughout you know their career you're looking for people that are very humble you know people that accept that they've been on a journey themselves that have that human touch to them that are highly emotionally intelligent you know able to understand the room understand the situation you know and and that does change because it's slightly different depending 
on the type of role you're looking for. For example, if you're looking for a finance director, you're looking for somebody that is high attention to detail, you know, very, very thorough in their approach, that has that mindset that is analytical, that, but yet is able to translate that into a human way of working because not everybody can understand the numbers or, or the analytics. So it does depend a little bit on the type of role that you're recruiting for. Um, it does depend a little bit on um, who you're working with as well. And, you know, over the, my career, I've been really fortunate to do some really interesting things with psychometrics. So I was working with one um, student accommodation provider actually many years ago, and we did a bit of a trial where we ditched the CV, um, which was revolutionary and I think probably opened up some of the candidate pools they may not have explored before. So we looked at the person's emotional intelligence, so um, whether they were able to communicate with students, whether they had an understanding of, you know, various customer service, you know, engaging with people, whether they had a motivation to work and, and to want to exceed. And it was interesting, the results of that, because people were hired from some less traditional backgrounds. You know, um, this was early days of student accommodation before people were looking at kind of retail as a, as a pool of candidates. Um, and actually somebody came from retail, somebody came from a um, caravan park, somebody came from a cruise ship, somebody came from a school, um, somebody came from um, a bingo centre. So it was, you probably wouldn't have looked at their CVs had you been presented with a CV. And this is something I've been wondering for a while, really, whether actually how important CVs are going to be in the longer term of of recruiting as the talent pools become more niche and is it more relevant because a lot of the work I do is I meet candidates I have you know a good couple of hours with them I get to explore their motivations their push and pull factors you know what are their drivers for applying for certain roles or for looking at certain career opportunities and then I articulate that back to the, the hiring manager you know to the client and I always think to myself, do they actually read the CV or are they just listening to what I've had to say about somebody? And um, I think it, it will be an interesting evolution over the next five to 10 years, certainly as you've sort of seen more video content, you know, social media gets um, more and more important in our everyday lives. Will that mean that the CV is redundant? And it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time, but I don't have the answer to it just yet. I guess alongside that then so the other, another thing I'm interested in is about recruitment processes mm. so um you know and having hired many people over mm. the years um have one two stage interview processes and then make a decision hopefully you've got a good panel of decision makers that you know have different exposure in the business so they see it from different angles but how and we've been talking about how you identify all those skills that you've just talked about. Other than an interview and obviously the psychometrics, how can we establish that that client, that candidate is right for that role? Um, particularly, you know, when, again, going back to many, in many interviews where we ask people to give examples of, give me an example of when, you have done such and such um other than 
asking them to use their memory to find that you know often it's a test of memory um and not everybody performs well in that but other than an interview what other techniques can we use to try and find the best candidates for the best fit so i am a huge fan of kind of informal coffee chats and i think even if you've got two people that have come through a panel stage interview it's worth just meeting them again you know one-on-one or in a smaller session and just learning a bit more about them as a person you know what motivates them what their interests are outside of the competency-based interview because once you've gone through a competency-based interview you understand they can do the job etc then it really comes down to that cultural fit and actually sometimes just having a phone call with a candidate and if you you're in between two people you can't decide which one's going to work better um just get to know them they're human at the end of the day and it's i think people often forget that interviews are a two-way process you're selling your role as much as the candidate's selling their skill set so it should be conversational there should be an opportunity either before a panel or after a panel for you to have a coffee to walk around a campus to walk around a building just that you know getting to know somebody and just asking them about their family what they're interested in the the sort of human questions the that you would ask on a normal day-to-day basis can give you so much more than you know can you give me an example of this i guess then it still comes down to a bit of gut feeling when you meet someone is that fair to say once you've been through a process i think if you have run the process you know properly and you have assess people from the off you know you've been fair in terms of how you've got those people to the first stage whether you've used a recruitment partner whether you've done that yourself then you've sort of chipped and challenged as much as you can you have to manage the risk because it's expensive to recruit you know if you're using a partner there's a cost element to that but then once you bring somebody in it takes six months for someone to have an impact on a business so it's about actually you've had to invest in them equipment training time resource and you've got to get it right and it it's not good for anybody either you're you as the hiring manager or you as the candidate if it's the wrong hire for people and we've all seen that happen or we've been in that position we've taken a job and it wasn't necessarily what it said on the tin so it's about being as transparent as early on in the process as possible and doing as much as you can to you know, meet with that person to show your vision, to show your strategy, to understand how they would be able to input into that and what that looks like. Um, and just being as human as possible. At the end of the day, we are all human beings. We are all able to work together or not work together in, in the case maybe, but actually really putting the effort in. And I think, you know, for me, there's no problem in it being a slightly longer process sometimes if that's going to be the right hire and it's the right appointment but I think you've got to get that process right because if you're having 10 stages it's too much you know if you're having five stages it's probably too much if you have three sensible stages um that is probably about right with opportunity to meet different stakeholders to um you know check credentials etc and then the referencing side is quite important particularly in the education sector as well because actually just understanding you know people have different challenges and different ways of working and if you can try and understand that from their previous employer it can make the onboarding a little bit smoother 
Um, and that probably does bring us on to our next topic, really, that onboarding piece. And you and I have worked together for a number of years. We've seen it work and not work, haven't we? So I think that getting that onboarding is absolutely crucial. You know, you need to be able to give people the opportunity to meet with different stakeholders within the business, to start to understand the business, but also start to, to bring things on themselves and you know, most people need sort of 60 days to digest the business, to understand the individuals, how everybody works out, to have a bit of time outside of the office environment or, you know, outside of teams calls to get to know each other on that more personal level and actually have a plan and, and realise that a new hire is going to take 60 days plus to make an impact into your business. I wonder if what we were talking about earlier around working from home impacts people's onboarding experience yeah i think it's definitely changed and i think some of what we saw in covid you know when everyone was just learning and it was all on teams and interestingly enough if you kind of look certainly through some of the people i saw making big moves in that that period they're no longer with the businesses or they are starting to look now so it does make you think whether or not that like completely remote onboarding works I think you need a balance of stuff and you also need to be able to understand that people need time to digest the information or the training that you're giving them so there's no point doing all your training in week one and then never looking at that until you know six months later when they need to do that it's better to do it in digestible sizes so people really feel that they're learning but they're also getting that exposure to the team and you know listening and and learning where they can i think it's some great practical advice there um i want to talk about obviously you're recruiting into the education sector um mm -hmm. what do you see as the biggest changes happening maybe from a people point of view or from an overall point of view but what do you see the biggest sort of changes that have recently happened or or are going through at the moment in the education sector I think the education sector is always changing. It hasn't definitely hasn't sat still for the last 10 years that I've been involved, but each sector has its own challenges at the moment, you know, and one of the big issues is around talent attraction. Um, and what we sort of looked at, what we touched on earlier, this idea of flexibility, working from home. There's a huge drive across equality and um, diversity and bringing diverse hires into the sector and I think that's really important because if you look at the populations of universities of schools of um, you know FE colleges they are so diverse now and there are so many different people that are embracing that and you've got this huge opportunity to to really reflect that in the leadership teams and what that looks like and for me, I think that's really exciting. I think that that will bring another level of change to the education sector. Um, and, and that's diversity across their governance, their boardrooms, their trusts, their, you know, their senior hires. And I was reading something the other day that, um, and I'm a school governor, so it's just something I kind of have a passion for on the side. I found it really interesting and insightful to do kind of sit on the other side of the fence, really. And uh, I was reading something the other day, a statistic published, and 5% of school governors and trustees are under the age of 40. How mad is that? That's crazy. 
absolutely crazy when there's so many people that are in their careers that have children that have families that don't even know these opportunities exist that could really be helping them developing their career you know getting exposure into recruiting head teachers or looking at policies and procedures you wouldn't necessarily get that in the workplace you know if you're a trustee or a ned of of a board and you're shadowing some people that are you know really profound in their careers and they're really established and you never get that exposure to them in the workplace maybe this is a call to action everybody under 40 yeah. uh, you know go and go be, and get be a school well, we start with the governor and then look at kind of broader trustees. You, you know, there's opportunity. Student unions are always looking for non-executive directors. Um, universities often are looking for people. Local libraries are looking for people. It's just, I just think, for me, it really has opened my eyes. Go and get that volunteering experience. It's not that much time to give, but it just gives you so much more. And interestingly now, I've started talking to a lot of people and and they've really developed their careers from getting that additional exposure so you've recently made a change uh, <laughs> and you're uh, um, in the business of helping people make a change in their career so talk to me about your experience from from moving on from a role that you've been in for a very long time yeah I, I it was a big change for me to be fair and now, I just got to a position where I didn't think I was necessarily learning anymore. And I think I was probably also working too much. I didn't have the balance between work and everything else. I think I was trying to be a superhero almost and, and doing everything and not necessarily having that break. And one of the most interesting things for me, I, so I took eight weeks off earlier in the year and just had kind of I was went to Spain I went down to Weymouth you know really just enjoying myself and I've never been one for taking long holidays or I don't think I've even had a two-week holiday ever which is really a sad thing to admit isn't it but there we go and just having that eight weeks off and being able to kind of do yoga in the afternoons and hang out with my friends and just have time when my brain wasn't kind of always working um, and you know, just learn some stuff about yourself. So I actually did um, some kind of sound therapy, which was amazing, and I highly recommend it to everybody that wants to. Mel Luardi is definitely someone you should get on your podcast. But she she actually does sound therapy, and it was one of the most interesting things for me. And you kind of are there, and you think, oh, this is all a bit mad at first, but you you kind of get this opportunity to rebalance your body and it it was just amazing how I felt so good after it and so energized and I just wouldn't have had time to explore things like that before so having that time off was was huge for me and just gave me that opportunity to kind of reset and to re-energize my body so I definitely recommend to people if you've been in a job for a long period of time having that time in between to kind of process and and almost get out of the habit of of thinking about work all the time that your brain is just fully engaged and it takes a bit of time to leave one organization behind and and have that kind of gap to start a new organization um I, I think for me I was really nervous about it at first you know is it the right thing to do to move on you know, I'm really established I'm, you know everybody knows me I've kind of been quite out there as a person is it the right thing to do 
Um, interestingly, I spoke a lot to kind of my friends and my family, and I couldn't make the decision just necessarily on my own, which is, you know, I think you almost need to check and challenge. And I'm one of those people that almost needs validation from other people to make those decisions. But yeah, I made the move and it's been really good so far. Really, I'm really pleased that it's something that I took the time out and I was able to start in a positive place. I guess I'm interested in, obviously you discussed that decision with family and friends. Did they all tell you to make the leap or was there anyone yeah, that said yeah. that? <laughs> no, they all told me to make the leap. And one of the things that is interesting, it was a friend of mine, she was just like, look, I'll be honest with you, you're you're all into one thing. You're one of those people the way you get all into everything and you're kind of an all or nothing type of person and you want to be involved in loads of stuff. And she's like, you've just kind of lost your sparkle. You just need to kind of have some time out, reset and just be back to being you, like have that kind of sparkling element. And um, yeah, so I think for me, that was a big wake up call because she was just like, look, just do it. You tell people to do this all the time. You're always giving people advice and, you know, you've got an opinion on everyone's career and life, etc. And you've seen so many people do it. Take your own advice. Um, and I think that was a big wake-up call for me. Just listen to yourself and listen to your own advice. I think um, one thing I've learned from having these conversations and, and working with, talking to people in recruitment like yourself is um, sometimes we don't get to know the recruiter very well. It's all about the candidate and finding out about them. So um, one thing I was interested about to talk to you about was Prior to being in recruitment, you worked in sports development uh, or, and then shift into recruitment. How did that happen? Oh, always by accident, isn't it? <laughs> so, and I, this is what I say, you know, I do feel quite humbled that I had such an interesting career so early on. I didn't go to university in the traditional way. So, you know, I kind of just landed a role in the rugby football union, initially kind of on an interim contract. And it was a really small operation at the time, not the kind of global business that it is now. And, you know, I was fortunate. I was young. I was keen. I put my hand up for anything. I got to do loads of different things, um, working across kind of HR projects and major events, some like competitions that are running in schools and are still running now. You know, and, and I, I just feel like I was really fortunate about that. And I actually just put my CV on a big job board, one that we all know. Um, and they phoned me up and they're like, we're really interested in people that have got a background in sport or, you know, that have worked in, in this type of role. They make excellent recruiters. Come and have an interview. So I went to a big high street company and, you know, just had this assessment day, which was a really peculiar. And one of the most... I even look back on it now and think, what on earth? Like, it was a whole day in central London and you were assessed, but they asked strange questions, you know, and things that you wouldn't necessarily ask today in, the, in, this, in this kind of modern working world. Anyway, I got the job. They were like, right, it's fine. Come, come and start here. So I was in my late 20s. I came into recruitment a lot later than, than some people. I was in a in an office and I was like, oh, fine, I'm really good at talking to people. I love getting to know people. And for me, it was like a matching game at first because, you know, there's a high volume of candidates. You're kind of sending them out in the local area and 
and lots of kind of entry level roles. So I did that for a year or so. And then I just thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. Like, this is just, I'm just meeting so many people. I'm kind of sending them out into the kind of local community. And then the numbers, half of them are getting placed. And I just was frustrated. I just didn't think it was the right thing. I also wanted to do more around the kind of manage, you know, mid-management, senior management, executive appointments. So I moved to a small kind of boutique search firm. And, you know, I was really fortunate there that I had the opportunity to grow and, and develop in lots of different marketplaces. So initially was working with sort of senior interim executives. So sort of placing those professionals into the higher education sector and then had the opportunity to move into student accommodation. And I think that's probably where we met about <laughs> nine years ago, which is a scary thought, isn't yeah. it? We were all younger and had more hair then. But, you know, I was very fortunate that I got to sort of start up a student accommodation business and do a lot of work with, at the time, you know, PBSA was really new. Universities didn't necessarily buy into it. There weren't the candidates available that there are today. You know, it still wasn't an established um, provision. And so, yeah, a lot of work there and kind of moving people and, started at sort of the mid-level working up to the really executive appointments and uh, you know some of the people I've been able to work with or place you know they've really been amazing people and they've had such a passion about driving change and that student experience side of things and then I was fortunate that you know I was able to expand and look and work across independent schools and education and, and that for me was a real eye opener because they're very similar in terms of and people think what you're mad but actually there's a real crossover between what independent schools are doing and the journey that higher education's been on over the last 10 years and I've always had this thing in my head and whether or not I'm a little bit insane but I think that you can transfer very easily from a university into an independent school and over the last sort of five years, I've done a lot of work at starting to move people from the independent sector, so from higher education into independent schools, um, and then from independent schools over into academy trusts, and just opening up those connectivities between um, education is something I've been really passionate about, and that's definitely what I'm doing at the moment is is connecting those people because actually, if you're running a commercial operation in the university you can run a commercial operation or be a bursar or a COO in, a, in an independent school you know it's a really logical step if you've been a director of a state you can be a director of a state in an independent school you know it's it's logical and IT admissions HR all of those sort of professional services and I'm just really interested in working with people that want to make a difference and organizations that have a social purpose to them the other thing i know about you is you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie definitely a bit <laughs> as i said to you before i think i've got this almost this butterfly effect brain where i like to do loads of different things and kind of take it off the um the bucket list really so i've done things like skydiving i've done about 10 skydives now wow. which is mad really um Abseiling, so I've abseiled off the O2, I've abseiled off Twickenham Stadium. Uh, what else? I ran the marathon, which was 
something it was the most amazing day and I do recommend to everybody run a marathon because especially London it, it was iconic it was amazing and you meet people that are on a journey and doing it for so many different reasons but I don't think I really ran it I mean my time was pretty much six hours if I'm honest with you because I spent more time talking to people on the on the journey on the camera <laughs> than I actually did running and I didn't do any training and I wore brand new trainers and I'll be honest someone had to give me a vodka shot halfway around but <laughs> you know what? I did it and it was something that it, it was an amazing day, amazing experience. And for me, it's just about doing those things. Like you get one life and you just need to be able to kind of release. And I think I'm quite an intense person. I'm just all, like I'm all in or I'm not in. And if I'm all in, it, it I want to do everything to the best of my ability. I want to be involved in stuff. You know, I always want to do a good job for people. Um, I'm really conscientious but at the same time I'm really competitive so it's an interesting balance yeah I think it's um it, it's definitely worth you know people thinking about and maybe talking from personal experience it goes back again to my favorite topic I think at the moment which is working from home and that <laughs> life and that work-life balance I think it's too easy to get into a routine of I do this then I go into my home office if you've got one or a spare bedroom or wherever you tend to work from and do that I'm home and do that and you do it day in day out and I think that's everybody's got to have a release somewhere um, maybe not abseiling off the O2 I'm not sure that's on my bucket list but uh, um, <laughs> um, if you could change one thing about the recruitment industry what would it be? Um, I think it'd be the reputation because actually there's a lot of people that are very good recruiters and really have a passion for what they're doing. You know, they it's all about making sure it's a right fit, a longer term appointment. But there's unfortunately still this reputation that it's not a professional sector and that, you know, there are unfortunately different models and people working in different ways, you know, do tarnish the reputation you know there is still this reputation of some people that unfortunately ruin it for everybody else and I just wish that people would realize that it's actually a very professional you know that there's a lot of work that goes into recruiting the right people and to headhunting and to certainly into a search process you know the work that goes into that should be recognized and almost it needs to be professional like it is for HR or like it is for kind of finance should be a recognized sector yeah I think I've, one thing I've always found unusual about the recruitment sector is you put in all of that work and you know if you're not on a retained basis then you know you've you're not getting paid until you've been successful at the end um, I mean personally I wouldn't work <laughs> on a non-retained basis no. because actually that's not really commitment from the we've all been burned you know where they're using multiple recruiters you're getting mixed messages into the marketplace for me it's about working as a partner to an organization so it is about that retained basis it's about how you market them how you attract candidates the message that you give when you're engaging people and what people should realize is that recruiter is a reflection of your business you know they are actively going out there and getting you the best talent so you need to make sure the messaging is right that they understand your culture that they understand the role that they understand 
the parameters around it. So I wouldn't work any other way because actually I feel I add a lot of value by the service that I offer, by how I'll understand the role and understand the complexity. And, you know, you I, I know you've definitely been for a few of my processes and I am tough on people, but that is for the right reason because actually I want a placement that's going to last and people that are going to come back to me and people that are going to continuously work with me, whether that's be as a candidate or a client. Maybe that's the other thing we should try and change is just work on a retained basis and partner up with really yeah. great, really great partner. Um, why don't you talk about values? Now that seems to be coming up a lot where, you know, the whether it be Gen Z or or even just you know the, the people out there in the market at the moment looking for roles are looking for organisations that fit their values. Um, are you seeing an increase in that and? Know, are organizations doing enough to put their values out there enough and, and and attract people based on that yeah i think it's hugely important I, I think we've definitely seen a shift change in people working for organizations that that fit them and whether that's through their culture whether that's through their values it's it's all about that you know almost like a puzzle piece isn't it where it connects together and and forming the whole puzzle and values are something that I don't think they should be blasted around the wall and you know that just come up with a few random words that nobody buys into it should be something and if there's less that's better isn't it in some ways because it it should be ingrained in your culture it should be completely visible to people so through their first interaction with you whether that's you know, for a social platform, for a website, whether that's through communication, every touch point should reflect those values and they should really go beyond one individual. They're about the whole company, the whole culture. And I think people are asking those questions more and more. You know, people are asking around, you know, what their social purpose is, what their environmental status is. Um, and you're seeing a lot more companies giving uh, days off now for um charitable and volunteering work and i think that's a big shift change um i think it will be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years really as the talent pools continue to narrow do people look outside the box do they hire less people that are just more ingrained to their business um and that it will be an interesting couple of years it's something that's quite new at the moment so we'll see how it all pans out and now we've come to the point of quick fire round questions. So if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Wow, what a difficult one. Um, I don't know, really, to be honest with you. I think I'll probably have a bit more sunshine because everybody, <laughs> well, certainly in England, everyone is happier and more engaged and more likely to have a chat with you when the sun is shining. Uh, I definitely concur with that. Um, and what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction but doesn't know where to start? I would say start talking to people. The more you open up to people, the more you talk, you'll be surprised how many people are in your network that have an opportunity or, you know, that will know somebody that can put you in touch with somebody. But if you just keep that quite internalised and you're just thinking it to yourself, it's you're never going to make that change. You've just got to start opening up and talking to people. And what's going to be your next big change? I guess you've just had one, but what's going to be the next big yeah, change? Yeah, I think I'm going to stay settled for a little while. 
well, you say that, but as I said to you, I'll always find something to keep myself occupied. I'm quite a busy person. But for now, I just want to settle down, you know, get myself up and running in a new company. Yeah, maybe I should have asked you that question a little while ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, lastly, we always ask the current guest to recommend someone to come on to the podcast um a guest you could recommend that we could have another interesting conversation with who would you recommend that i uh, i speak to so i think you should speak to mel luazi who um she also runs a podcast but she does a lot around kind of leadership development within higher education and um, she's worked with a lot of student accommodation teams as well she's really interested in how she made the jump from being a director into having her own business and you know that evolution that she's gone on through that I think it's worth you talking to Melissa as well so Melissa who was at UCL for a long time she um, has moved to the University of Kent as the Deputy Director of Commercial Services but she's also a non-executive director of Cuba and I think you'd have some really interesting conversations with her and her journey um, and ask her about her TV game shows because that is always an exciting topic. <laughs> that does sound it yeah it sounds uh thanks for that we'll um we'll certainly reach out to both of them and see if we can have some more conversations. Um, thanks Hayley it's been a really great conversation I think we got some really good practical advice um, both for candidates and for organizations um, and we got to learn about you which was which was really good uh, and uh, we'll be interested to hear about what you've abseiled off next or <laughs> how many more times you jumped out of a plane um, but I really wanted to get you on the podcast because you know your knowledge and experience of education and recruitment sector and um, I think you've got a bit of a different take on it to, to some who I talk to so I um, just want to say thanks very much for, for joining me. Thank you for having me it's been good.